Thank you for taking time to listen to our service. We're happy you've joined us today. Visit NBCOcala.com to find out more about who we are as a ministry or get information about upcoming events. There you can also discover all the convenient ways to partner with us financially. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the service. All right. Good morning. How are we doing? You doing well? Glad to be in church. Yes, excellent, excellent. Some of you are like, man, Pastor Tim looks different today. It's the Botox, everyone, okay? Don't worry about it. Hey, real quick, before we uh, get into the message, I have a little announcement we want to share with you. And if you were here last week, we introduced this. But uh, we have, for the past nine months or so, been offering four services on Sunday. And the reason we've been offering four services, really two primary reasons. First, we wanted to build our dream team. Especially as we're going into launching our East Campus, we wanted to make sure we had the team that could actually facilitate that growth. And then the second reason is we wanted to actually create space for growth here at this campus. And over the past nine months, we've been able to accomplish both of those things. So starting on July 8th, we are going to be moving to three services on Sunday. They will be 8.30, 10, and 11.30 here at our central campus. And our East Campus will be 10.30, 10 and 11:30, and the reason we are making this transition is we want to make um, both of our um, locations fit seamlessly together. So by having the same service times at both, this will allow us to do that. We will also have age-specific ministry for the whole family at every single service. So again, July 8th, 8:30, 10, 11:30. Mark your calendars. We'll be moving to three services. Well, can we do this? Will you stand with me? And let's just raise our hands. This is our way of saying, God, we want to receive from you today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for how we've been encouraged in worship this morning. We thank you that you are a living God. Thank you that you love us, that you have good things planned for us. And I ask as we open up your word this morning, it would encourage us and that we would leave change today. In Jesus' name, everyone says, amen. Amen. Will you help me welcome our online campus? We love you. So glad you're with us. You may be seated. You may be seated. So my mom is a great cook. And I didn't realize how great of a cook she was until I got to college. And it's me in a small dorm with three other dudes. Like a hot meal was a burrito from Taco Bell. And I hope you realize this. We have an amazing chef in the spiritual kitchen with Pastor Tim. He may not be here, but can we celebrate our pastor? Come on. He loves and preaches and teaches with such excellence. So I don't take it lightly that I have the opportunity to to fill in for him uh, this this morning. Our pastor, he sends sends his love. So we are in the second part of our series, if we're honest. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at what are our biggest questions— And what is God's best plan? And today, we're going to look at one of the most common questions we ask. In fact, you've probably asked this question in some form this week. This may be the most common question you've asked throughout your life. And the question is this, how do we change? How do we change? Right? We ask this question all the time. We feel like in a lot of areas of our life, things are going well, we're making it happen. But then there are these 
certain areas, right? These stubborn areas where we feel like we try, we're doing everything we can, we've tried all kinds of different things, but it doesn't seem to change. We feel a little bit like Winnie the Pooh. Oh, bother, right? It's these stubborn areas we feel like we can't change. And sometimes what can happen for us is we can get a little frustrated with ourselves. And that frustration can lead us to getting discouraged and down on ourselves because we think to ourselves, why can't I change? But this morning I want to encourage you that even the greatest individuals in Scripture struggled in areas of their lives. The Apostle Paul was a giant in the faith. Like, forget about the debate on who's greater, LeBron or Jordan. Paul was the real goat, okay? Like, what he accomplishes is incredible. But then he gives us a gift, and the gift is called Romans 7, 15. Let's look at it together. Paul says, I don't really understand myself. Come on now. Anybody feel like that? For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. We've all been there. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. For every preview day that we have here for our Southeastern University students, the team gets tasty donuts. And I say to myself, no, you have self-control. Resist the donuts and they will flee from you. <laughs> and then I show up and I look and, and, and there it is, glistening. The Shekinah glory is falling upon it, right? There's this blueberry donut in all its majesty and all its splendor. And I have to eat one, right? Like Paul would have definitely eaten one. But it's just so comforting to know everyone wrestles with things they want to change. And we sometimes feel like we come to church and we get encouraged and we feel the presence of God in worship and our kids love being NBC kids. But then Monday comes and we've got that stubborn area we feel like we can't change. And so what I want to do this morning is preach a Monday message. A message that doesn't just uplift us on Sunday, but carries us throughout the rest of our week. So what we're going to do today is we're going to address the question, how do we change? How do we change? Our primary text this morning is going to be from the book of John. John is one of the four of the Gospels. And what we're going to be doing today is we're really going to be walking through a day in the life of Jesus. So our main text for today is going to be starting in Romans 9. We're going to look at the first seven verses together. This is Jesus. It says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground, made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing you're taking notes this morning, the title of my message is Go Wash Your Eyes. Go Wash Your Eyes. About a year ago, I found myself on the top of a parking garage in Columbia, South Carolina. I was working for 
Southeastern University at the time, and in my role, I oversaw the academic and development of our 80 extension sites that were located across the United States. SCU Ocala is one of those sites and is one of the largest and healthiest sites that they have. But on this particular day, I was presenting before the South Carolina Department of Education on why they should let us have a regional campus in their state. There were three colleges that went before me. First was the Citadel College, one of the most prestigious military colleges in the nation. Next was the College of Charleston, and then lastly, maybe you've heard of them, the University of South Carolina. All of those who presented were deans, vice presidents, some were tenured professors, all had their PhDs. And then there's me, right? So I'm just like, hey, how's everyone going? So I'm just so relieved it's done. Like, you ever been in a scenario and you think to yourself, one of these things is not like the other one? And then you realize, it's me. So I'm just so glad that's, that's over. And one of the ways that I would recharge on, on work trips is I would find the most beautiful places to run. So in California, it was Yosemite National Park, I think one of the most beautiful areas in all the states. In Charleston, it was the iconic Arthur Ravenel Bridge. And that morning in Columbia, it was the Broad River. They had these beautiful trails that ran alongside the water. So I get back to the parking garage and I get ready to drive over to the Broad River. And I put on a podcast from the ARC Leadership Conference. ARC is the network that we're a part of here at Meadowbrook. And this particular message was called Seven on Seven. And the idea was seven-minute sermons from seven speakers. And so with each message, I get more and more and more engaged into it until eventually there's a message from a guy who planted a church in Dallas, Texas about five years ago. And he's telling his story about going from an executive pastor role to then leading his own church. Now, you and I, we are exposed to a ton of content. Every day, we have conversations, we hear messages, we hear talks, some of us are in school, we're in class, we're exposed to a lot of information. But there are some things we hear that rings louder and truer than others. And on this particular day, this one idea that this pastor got into has been the most impactful idea for me of any conversation I've had, of any message, any talk, of anything I've heard over the past year. This one idea arrested me on the top of a parking garage on a hot, humid May day in Columbia, South Carolina. The pastor, he tells his journey of being an executive pastor for 12 years, of feeling like he did a good job as an executive pastor, supporting his senior pastor, loving his senior pastor, holding the arms like Aaron of his senior pastor. But then when he started leading a church of his own, he was still thinking and acting like an executive pastor. He was still thinking and acting like he was the number two person on the team. And in the midst of this, God spoke to him, and what he heard was this. You often have the talent, but you lack the mindset to go to the next level of where God wants to take you. You often have the talent, but you lack the mindset to go to the next level of where God wants to take you. He ended his message, and I was just frozen. I was struck. I sat in the car for another 20 minutes before I left. See, the reason why this season of my life, as I said, I was, I was working at Southeastern University in Lakeland. Things were going well for me vocationally. 
I was getting to travel all over the U.S. I was a ranked professor. I had a lot of opportunity in front of me. It didn't make any sense to leave what I was doing. Yet I felt this strong pull to be in ministry, to go back to the church. Now, I had no idea it was going to be back at Meadowbrook. That just shows the faithfulness of God. But I knew in my heart of hearts that ministry was where I was meant to be, but my mindset in this season wasn't there. And God used this message to arrest me. You see, my mindset was so caught on the past, I couldn't see what God wanted to do in my future. My mindset was so stuck on what I lacked, I didn't see what I had. And I believe there are some of us in here today, you have untapped talent and you have untapped potential, but because your eyes are so caught on the past, you lack the faith to step into your future. See, the thing that is keeping us from change is our mindset. Our mindset. Now, I love our text today. I love it because I think it displays a really important characteristic about Jesus. It says Jesus is going along, and he comes across a man who's in blind since birth. Now, his response, can we be honest, is kind of weird. Like, he spits in the mud. Like, if I'm the disciples, I'm kind of going, all right, I've seen Jesus do some crazy stuff, but this is getting a little weird for me, right? He spits in the mud, and he's going to put on the man's eyes. So I think to understand this, we need to back up a little bit. What is going on in Jesus' mind at this moment? Our story is from John 9. But a little bit earlier that day in John 8, Jesus has this confrontation with the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders begin to throw some major shade at Jesus. They start talking some Reggie Miller, that's old school, varsity-level trash at Jesus. They look at Jesus and they tell him, you're a demon. Or the way the New Living puts it, you're a Samaritan devil. Okay, okay, okay. Let's look at Jesus' response. Come on now, right? Like they throw up this trash at Jesus, swat, swat. He just kind of wags his finger. I love this. He says five words. Before Abraham was, I am. Mic drop. Don't mess with me, right? This is the mood of Jesus today. Jesus ain't playing games. He's not messing around. He's got a little swag in his step, right? So this is what's in his mind as we go into this text. He's coming along and they encounter a man who's in blind since birth. Now I want you to notice the response of the disciples. Because their response reveals so much about human nature. They say immediately... They go to Jesus. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. All the disciples could see is what was missing. All they could see is the restraint that is on this man's life. All they can see is one thing, one thing, what he lacks. And here's what I love about Jesus. We get so caught up in life thinking about the problem when all Jesus wants to do in your life is offer you a solution. Jesus looks at him and says, you're missing it. It's not this man, it's not his parents, but this has happened. And here's the key, so that, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Your limit is an opportunity to experience the limitless God. And here's why we get stuck. We end up putting lines in the sand around our lives. And we say, these are my limits. This is all I can do. I'm only this smart. 
I'm only this engaging. I'm only this talented. I'm only this favored. I'm only, I'm only, I'm only. When what Jesus wants to do in your life is tell you, look me in the eyes and say, you're so caught up on this, you're missing that. That God is good. That God is faithful. That God saw this day. So you can get with this or you can get with that. But this has happened so that, so that the works of God might be displayed in you. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to deconstruct what I think is at the core of our limitation. It's the very thing that is keeping us from seeing this God-centered reality and is the thing that is keeping us from change. And that thing is our mindset, our mindset. So what I want to do today is look at the three most common places that you and I get stuck when it comes to our mindset. The places where we're so focused on our limits, we can't see the power of our limitless God. And the first place we're going to look at is this, stuck in the past. Stuck in the past. See, somewhere along the line, we've been told, we've been conditioned to believe my future is determined by my past. Now, we don't always say it, but the decisions we make, the things we think, the way we build our lives out is completely shaped by the past. We end up saying things to ourselves like, well, my pops was this way. My mom was this way. And so what we inadvertently do is we take on the nature of the very thing we want to change. Stuck in the past. If an elephant is going to be used in the circus or a zoo, on the day that they're born, a thick rope is tied to the elephant's neck. And the other part of that rope is then pushed into a stake that's deep in the ground. And from birth, the young elephant struggles and fights to free itself. Day after day, month after month, and year after year. Eventually, the young elephant gives up. It stops fighting. It stops resisting. And from that day forth, the trainer replaces that thick rope with a thin string, and the elephant continues living under the illusion it cannot defeat the rope. And I think there are some of us in here today that you're so much stronger than you think, but you've been convinced there's a heavy rope on your life called your past. So you've stopped resisting, you've stopped fighting, and you've stopped dreaming. But I want to tell you, your past is nothing more than a string in the hands of Jesus. Your past does not get the final stamp on your future. Jesus does. Your future is defined by each fresh step you take. You want to change? Great. You want to restart? Great. You can restart now. Right now. Doesn't matter what you did five years ago. Doesn't matter what you did last week. Doesn't matter what you did last night. Come on, somebody. You can restart now. Last week, last night, it's the past, it's over, it's done. It doesn't get the final say on your future, Jesus does. Please hear this. God doesn't want to change the old you. God wants to make a new you. You can restart now. Stuck in the past. The second place that keeps us from change is this. Stuck in sin. See, if our mindset is not fixed in faith, then we will begin to look at our sin through the lens 
of hopelessness and discouragement. One of the enemy's main tactics in your life is to get you to think you are hopeless when it comes to your sin. When I was in high school, um, I played a lot of sports, love sports, and one of the sports I played was basketball. Get me on the court and I'm trouble. Last week I messed around, had a triple-double, a little throwback ice cube for some of you. Um, but I, I loved basketball, and I was convinced sophomore year, I'm going to dunk. Now listen, I'm 5'9 in man heels, okay? <laughs> but I was convinced I'm going to dunk. So all summer long, right, I'm doing those calf workouts. I don't know if you guys remember these from the infomercials, but uh, they used to have jump soles. And you'd walk around like this. So I'm doing everything all summer long. Season starts. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Right, I go. I start heading to the rim. I jump up, and I'm soaring like Jordan. Only problem was I wasn't soaring like Michael Jordan. I was soaring like Jordan Vale. <laughs> Ball didn't even touch the rim. Apparently, white man can't jump. <laughs> but often, you and I approach our sin like that. We do everything we can to break its power. We're putting in the spiritual practices. We've got the holy jump soles on, but it seems like no matter how hard we try, we keep failing over and over and over again. And in these moments, the enemy whispers to us, you're hopeless. You've always been like this. You're not going to change. And then that fills us with condemnation over our lives, and that condemnation becomes a weight that steals our joy, steals our purpose, and steals our thought that we could be used by God in any way. So we end up saying things to ourselves like, if I can't beat this sin, how can I ever change? And we end up shying away from the call of God in our lives because we believe the lie of the enemy when he says you're nothing more than your sin. But please hear this. God doesn't wait for you to leave the dark places of your life. God doesn't wait for you to clean yourself up. God doesn't wait for you to figure it out on your own. God rushes into the dark places and says, that's my son, that's my daughter. You can't sin big enough, you can't sin fast enough, and you can't sin consistently enough to ever exhaust the grip of the grace of God that is on your life. Because Christian, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of his son. Your struggle with sin does not overcome the righteousness of God that is in you. The condemnation you feel is not from Jesus, it is from Satan. What condemnation will do is it will just get you to look at what you've done wrong. And in its place, what you need is conviction. And conviction can be uncomfortable, conviction can be challenging, but it turns our focus towards Jesus. In our story... Earlier that same morning, Jesus encounters someone else near the synagogue. A woman is brought before him, you may know the story well, a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. They're demanding that she be stoned. This was the Jewish custom for such an offense. And Jesus doesn't say anything, but he just gets down on the ground and begins to write in the sand. He then says that he who is without sin should cast the first stone. And one by one, you hear the sound of stones hitting the dirt. From the oldest to the youngest, they drop their stones. Now, do you think this 
woman who was almost stoned and killed left thinking about her sin? No. She left thinking about the incredible grace that was given to her. You see, when God looks at our sin, he does not give us condemnation. He gives us grace. He gives us mercy. This woman is at the lowest point of her life. She's ashamed. She's exposed. And God gives nothing but grace. But that's not how the story ends. The story ends when they've all cleared out and gone. Jesus, I believe, out of respect, doesn't look up, but he simply says, go and sin no more. His grace is not a free pass on sin. His grace is the pathway to freedom from sin. If you want to get free from sin, recognize the grace of God that is on your life. Recognize that you are the righteousness of Christ. The pathway to sin is more in, into the deeper love of God. God's love is how you and I beat sin. Stuck in sin. The third place that is keeping us from change is this. Stuck in fear. Stuck in fear. So often, we don't step forward. We don't follow that path. We don't make that decision because we're afraid. We're afraid it won't work out. Or we're afraid we can't do it. We're going to fail. In 2000, Blockbuster Video was a giant. If you're over the age of 30, you probably had a Blockbuster card. Some of you, if you check your wallet today, you still have that card. Listen, it's over. Let go. Move on. And in 2000, Netflix was struggling to stay afloat. They realized their model wasn't going to work and the future was going to be in streaming. So Reed Hastings, the CEO, he, he goes to Blockbuster headquarters. He sits there with all the executives and he pitches them his idea. You can buy Netflix for $50 million. Streaming is going to be the future. Hastings is literally laughed out of the room. He's told, we're not taking that risk. It's never going to work. Thirteen years later, Blockbuster closes its last store. And in the last quarter, the market cap for Netflix was $145.8 billion. Stuck in fear. And I think often we are riding the bench of life because we're afraid it's not going to work out. We're afraid we're going to fail. And here's why we think like that. And here's why fear puts such a limit on us. Because somewhere along the line, we've been told that my fear is a sign I shouldn't act. But God never said you wouldn't be afraid. God never said you wouldn't be scared. God never said you wouldn't have fear. What he does say is this. Just because you feel afraid doesn't mean you have to be afraid. Just because you feel afraid doesn't mean fear gets to dictate your decisions. Just because you feel afraid doesn't mean fear gets to determine your future. You see, fear is the very place that God wants to activate faith in him. It's the place where God wants to say, stand next to me. Stand next to me and watch me flex my divine muscle on your behalf. It's the place where God's going to say, by yourself, yeah, you probably can't do it. But with me, you can but we've got to be willing to step forward. My little daughter is 18 months old, and 
She loves to go swimming. But every time we get near the pool, we go through the same process. Yeah, right? All these noises, and you're wooing them, and you're convincing them, and then finally you, you trick them, and you have, hey, I've got a cookie in the pool, right? Whatever it is. But once they finally step in, it's like, I don't ever want to get out. And it often you and I do that with fear. We tiptoe towards our future. Oh. We tiptoe towards opportunity. Whoa. But yet we're not willing to step out because we've allowed fear to define our future. When what we need is to stare fear in the eyes and say, fear, you will not determine my future. Fear, you do not have to get to find my reality because in Christ I have all I need. And fear is simply going to be the place where God is going to show off his glory in my life. But you've got to step out to get unstuck. And I want to go back to our, our story. Jesus, he comes up to this blind man. He spits in the mud, takes it. He puts it on the man's eyes, and he says, go. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And here's the key. The man went and washed and came home seeing. Jesus doesn't make the man get up and wash. Rather, he gives the man an opportunity. And it's the same opportunity he gives to you and I. We can keep living the life we have, or we can get up and wash our eyes. For some of us, getting up and washing our eyes means getting alone with God and saying, God, I, I need a fresh start. For others of us, getting up and washing our eyes, it may mean going to growth track. Growth track is about you finding your purpose and how you fit into God's purpose. For some of you, getting up and washing your eyes may mean it's time to get bold, courageous, and join a small group. You're thinking, I don't know, man, what if I go to their house and it smells like vitamins? It's a possibility. But here's what small groups are really about. Small groups aren't about getting you to read your Bible. That's a part of it. But they're about getting you good friends. They're about getting you a community. Change is a process that happens best when we do it with others. For some of you, getting up and washing your eyes means accepting Christ as your Savior. And for others, you know really clearly what it means to get up and wash your eyes. The Holy Spirit has been present on your heart during this service. Jesus' intent for your life is not to live feeling stuck. His intent is for you to love free, to live free, and to be free. Taking our eyes off of our limits and putting them onto the limitless God is us saying, God, I'm stepping forward on your plan, on your purpose, on your vision for my life. So friends, let's get up, wash, and come back new. Did you get anything out of this this morning? Hey, can we do this real quick with no one moving around? Will you go ahead and just bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a few moments? Because maybe you're here this morning, you, you've been feeling a press on the inside, and that press is you want to come home. That press is you want to become a follower of Jesus. You want to experience the gift of salvation. And if that's you right now, will you do this? Will you raise your hand? We're not going to make you stand. We're not going to make you come forward. 
But you, will you be bold? Will you be courageous? If you're saying, I want to accept Christ as my Savior, will you raise that hand? Ushers are going to come along, and they're going to put a card in your hand. Once that card's in your hand, you can put your hand down. We'll explain the card in a minute. But please, if you're feeling that tug, that's the Holy Spirit. For a few more moments, be courageous. Take the step that many others have taken before you. If you're feeling that tug. And can we do this, and it won't be weird because we're all going to do this out loud. Will you join me in praying this prayer of salvation? Say, Father God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Jesus, I accept you as my Savior and my Lord. Be first place in my life. Give me a home in heaven forever. I love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, come on now, church. Can we celebrate those who have stepped across the line? Proud of you. Hey, so with that card that you got, if you would, just fill it out, some basic information, and hand it to the ushers on the way out. We just want to help you in your next step in your faith journey. Well, we've had a good morning. Amen? Amen. So let's go into this week understanding we have a limitless God. You are dismissed. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.